What are you waiting for? Welcome to This Is Not A Dress Rehearsal Podcast. Stop holding your breath, waiting for perfect conditions before you move through the world. Tune in for real stories of real people who understand the freedom to live well. Your host, Bonnie Sewell, is a veteran wealth manager with 12 grandchildren, helping clients over the last 30 years enjoy their wealth. You can listen to all podcasts at www.americancapitalplanning.com slash podcast or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Heather Ashby Madden is a senior designer for Herman Miller, an American furniture maker with inventive designs and technologies that improve the human experience wherever people work, heal, learn, and live. Heather has her BA in interior design from Michigan State. She's also a busy mom of two, a wife, and my beautiful niece. Welcome, Heather. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad you're here today. So we're going to go over and you're, you know, a lot of our listeners might not appreciate you're you're pretty young, you're only in your third decade of life, but you've lived a lot of life in that time. And one of the things, one of the reasons we do the podcast is because we kind of we do hold dear that sharing our real stories, we learn from each other, we get to know each other and we bridge that distance between each other. What story can you share with our listeners about how you know, even at your young age, that this, meaning your life, your day, is not a dress rehearsal? Yeah, it's a really great question. I have been trying to think of a particular story, and I don't know, I can't think of one, you know, specific, but I think in general, if if anything isn't a better example of the world that we're living in right now and the, the current events going on, and I think really show us that yeah, we we don't have time to waste. We can't mess around with our decisions that we make. The decisions we make impact not just ourselves, but a lot of people and in the broader world at large. And I certainly have experiences in my past that, that also indicate that, you know, we don't necessarily have tomorrow to do things again. So while you have the time, make sure you make the most of it. Heather, you've had an accomplished design career as a young woman. What drew you to design, interior design in particular? And then I'd like to hear what drew you to Herman Miller as a company. From a very young age, I wanted to be a designer. I distinctively remember having a school project about careers, going through the list, coming across interior designer. And uh, it really stuck from there on. And you know, over the years, I've just really come to believe that our built environment the spaces that we choose to be on, be in, just have just an incredible impact on us. Our thoughts, our emotions, our behaviors. Certainly, as I've learned more too, I've become more and more fascinated with how space affects our physical well-being, health, and wellness. It's just that's and that's only on the individual side. When you start talking about how space impacts groups uh, and groups of people, communities, I just it's pretty powerful. Um, you know, I've I've always been a visual person, a creative person. I'm pretty balanced too with the left brain logical and analytical side. So the type of design I, I enjoy has both, which can be challenging sometimes, but I think also makes me uh, a better designer in the end. I love design and interior design specifically because it's my way that I can have an impact on people, hopefully make a difference, solve problems. I think that's 
fundamentally what design does. And if it can be beautiful and meaningful, then that's obviously a big bonus. So as it pertains to Herman Miller, those are all the reasons why I think we are a great fit. Because, you know, I, I discovered Herman Miller when I was working as an intern at a small interior design firm in Lansing, Michigan, my senior year of college. And we went and visited all the major manufacturers that are all based out of West Michigan. And I was just really captivated by Herman Miller specifically. It was all of that that I just described I was searching for. It's all this beauty and classic design backed in science and research. They have a deep, deep understanding of the human experience, the desire to improve it. And like you said at the beginning, no matter where you are, whether that's at home, at work, at school, in your healthcare environments, and, and so that just really speaks to me. So, and a lot of people who hear interior design think of, you know, what they do in their home and certainly you could have gone that route. Why was it so interesting to you to stay in the commercial space specifically? I found the impact to be just more interesting in terms of where we work and how you can design space, not just to be a sea of cubicles, but how can we be more thoughtful? How can we really think about the human experience? And those groups of people coming together. I had some projects in college, again, that opened my eyes to the commercial side uh, in terms of healthcare and really understanding, wow, I can affect people this way. I can make a difference. You know, it's not just picking out pretty things and getting high profile residential clients and playing, you know, perhaps psychologists at times. You know, there's, there's so much more you can do on the commercial side um, to reach more people and have a big impact. And then the bonus is that there are you know, there's more security, there's more typically better salaries, and a lot of benefits that go along with working for a company. So it hasn't been an entirely smooth, clear path, you know, knowing that you wanted to do this as a child, and then picking your school, and you went to more than one school. So you maybe you want to talk a little bit about that, because I think that's a common experience. People find themselves in one place, decided different places better. And, and then also just even in your relatively young career, you've, you've had a few setbacks. Can you talk about any of those? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think if I was being completely honest, the moment I, you know, my very first job was a setback to my quote unquote plan. And I actually really love talking about this. I think it's a tremendous you know, you brought up school. It's a tremendous amount of responsibility to put on an 18-year-old to pick a school that costs a ton of money and to figure out what they want to do for the rest of their life. I think that's that's a lot. And, you know, almost unfair. You know, we should continue to explore and, and learn and grow and find new things that we're passionate about. But, you know, I used to be go back to Michigan State's campus and talk to some of the designers about being a working graduate in the field. And, I would listen to them, their big plans. And I was the same way. I had, you know, big enthusiastic eyes and just the goal was set super high. And I, you know, in the beginning, I wanted to work for a top architectural firm, one of the big giants. You probably remember that. And I had those I interviews. Do. <laughs> yeah, I had those interviews all over the country and I was super excited about it. But I also graduated in 2008 and literally the economy was collapsing as I was interviewing for my first job. And Positions were getting pulled out right from underneath me due to the economy collapse right as I was getting my foot out the door. But it was those relationships that I had formed at that small little design firm that got me my first job. And by the way, that little internship wasn't what I had envisioned either. So I think, you know, without getting into every single gory detail, I did, I have made several stops along the way to get where I am now, um, all within the industry. and. 
but not one was ever at the, the first initial dream of a top architectural firm. You know, I've had two roles in marketing, one in product management. I accepted a job and three days later quit because Herman Miller called. Talk about being the best and worst day ever. <laughs> so, you know, what I like to tell those students is that it's essential to have that big goal and the dream, but to, to really try to not put those blinders on to what really interesting and unexpected things are coming your way. Because, you know, the more you look at all those little sidesteps, that's opportunities, that's where you can learn and grow and, and understand how to transfer all those skills and that knowledge. And, you know, even once I achieved my goal of being hired by Herman Miller, I still had to get my dream job within Herman Miller. And it was all those marketing roles and the product management role and all the ones before that really made me, I believe, more uniquely qualified for the job that I have now. I have an understanding of the entire process. I'm empathetic to all the different players within the channel. I have a knowledge about the business side. And so I just, I think that makes me a better designer, a more valuable team member. And I can't, you know, recommend enough to have kind of open, open mind about those little setbacks, if you will. Well, I think it's a really important point that you bring up that, you know, you got into the company you wanted so badly. And from there, you had to make it your own, right? You had to make sure that you were making an impact inside that company. So I, I appreciate you sharing that story. And mm -hmm. you and your husband are both busy career professionals. And at the time you were living in Grand Rapids, which is where Herman Miller is based for your position, because your husband just needed to be near an airport for his work. So, you know, that worked great. And then he receives an offer and he goes to Chicago and you made the move as a family, keeping your position remotely. So a lot of people find themselves in these quandaries now, and it's always been true, but especially now. But what can you share about, you know, tough conversations as the two of you figure out how you support each other as you move through your, you know, in both important careers? Yeah. So, you know, when I got the job at Herman Miller, I was all in, you know, it meant moving to West Michigan. We weren't married at the time, but because yes, he was flexible, travel-based, he came with me. And by the time that he was ready to move on and he found this great opportunity based out of Chicago again, I was really well-established at Herman Miller, seven-ish years, I think. So I had my network. I had a strong relationship with my director and my work team leader and my teammates. And it wasn't you know, a given that I would be able to keep my position if we chose to move. But I really did know that my accomplishments and my contributions, relationships, they should speak for themselves. And they were very strong. So when it came to having those conversations, it's like we have two very young children at the time. One was an infant, one was a toddler. He was gone three days a week. It just wasn't sustainable. And I was experiencing anxiety for the first time. I was exhausted, of course. We didn't have family local to lean on. So the big picture was that long-term, that's not what we wanted for our family. I knew he wouldn't want to be missing soccer and dance and the funny little moments around the kitchen table. So while it may look like on paper, I made a sacrifice to move to Chicago. In my heart, I was winning and I was gaining. If he was happier, if he was more fulfilled, and on top of that, traveled less and could be home more than... I felt like we all won. We have grandparents in Chicago, so that was a big motivator. And thankfully, I was able to keep my position. You know, I, I went to my director and had very honest conversations about why and how I think thought it could work. And it was a trial basis to start. So we all went into it with open minds. And the 
desire to want to make it work. And that's, I think, um, half the battle. And so here we are in this incredible time period. We're taping this at the tail end of the summer of the year of the pandemic. And, you know, a lot of our listeners will be living what you're living. But for those who really don't understand, what's it been like working full time with a three and a one year old, no child care, your husband's working, just kind of share that crazy experience with us. Yeah. So I'm sure everyone's seen the phrase going around. The parents aren't all right. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely true. There's nothing uh, quite like being thrown into full-time caregiver, teacher, employee, spouse, all the different roles, 24 hours a day, no bench to back you up. It's obviously exhausting. We're pulling extra long days to get the hours in at work, trying to grapple with what's going on with the world, making the best decisions that we can. How do we protect ourselves? You know, my daughter has asthma, so we've been a little bit more on edge, you know, and all of that kind of trickles into work and, you know, all of the fear around, well, is this going to impact my performance? And how will I be viewed? Will I be penalized because I have a family? How long can we sustain this? It's, yeah, it's, it's exhausting. We did figure out some strategies early on to help manage everything a little bit better. And it really all for us has boiled down to adjusting expectations, leaning in, accepting, and just really, truly, I have to tell myself this often is to learn to love the season that we're in. You know, we have a very fast paced and distracted world and culture. And I think our expectations around struggle today are that we can go through it, move on very quickly. But if we look back to history and any other significant period of time, like the one that we're in right now, it takes years. It's a really long haul, you know, and now we get bored, we move on, we try and just erase (laughs) a reality, I think a little bit. And so I often remind myself it's an endurance race and we have toddlers, you know, so adjusting expectations to that just really allows us all to be happier, to be less stressed, less anxious. You know, we don't fight as much. And so, yeah, you combine the pandemic along with being a a new young mom, the science behind like your brain uh, being shifted and adjusted uh, takes about seven years after birth to get back to where you were. It's you know, it's tough. And I do make a lot of decisions every day at work and all the decisions at home. It's just mentally exhausting. So, but I I do have to say all that. There's so much beauty in this time. There's so much to be grateful for in this time. I, you know, obviously we wouldn't have had this time otherwise. So we've also tried to soak up those moments and to appreciate the way life has slowed down and to really look with open eyes again to the moments that we're having and and reevaluating our beliefs a little bit and kind of how we feel about different things. And there's so many questions and a lot to figure out still, but yeah, it's, it's quite the time. I do think your approach is, is wonderful in terms of, you know, keeping a sense of humor, keeping a sense of reality about this, not being a quick one and done it. We, I think we all hoped it would be quick at the beginning. I think the other thing that you're talking about that is so important to focus on is just that stress doesn't buy you anything. So stress while perfectly normal and expected at some point, it just slows everything down and it doesn't get you anything. So I, I love your approach as far as, you know, of course, there's worry. Of course, there's trouble, but trouble does teach and we'll all come out of this better. Uh, just certain days that can be really tough to see. Oh, yeah. So I certainly wish you 
you know, continued childcare. Let's just put it that way, because that I think is the hardest blank to fill. But we'll we'll all figure it out. Switching gears just a little bit, your mom and dad divorced when you were young, as did mine. We do a lot of divorce work. That's actually the reason for our divorce work because of my own life experience and then 30 years of professionally helping people through that tough transition. And and then you lost your mom early to illness. So in your short life, it was a lot of things happening when you were young and, and those are impactful. So to a tough life's toughest blows before you even got out of high school. But in my eyes, you emerged mentally tough and healthy, which is a beautiful outcome and a lucky outcome. You have a wonderful sense of humor and purpose. So that, that's what I see as, as your loving aunt. But also from your perspective, is there anything good that comes out of tough experiences? Thank you. I appreciate you saying that. Yes, I, of course I do. I, think you have to when you're in those uh, for pure survival, quite honestly. But you just described your own story in which you went through a tough experience and made it into this amazing thing that's now helping so many people. So, you know, I do think those tough experiences solidify your character. I truly do believe you can't appreciate the highs without experiencing the lows. I do think everything happens for a purpose if you allow it to have a purpose and to work through you and and to not grip everything so tightly, you know, it's really those lessons and that purpose you find within them that's the most important for me and has been to try and be mindful and aware, to acknowledge what you're going through, to accept it, to internalize it. You know, so an example in my own life would be my just absolute deep-rooted desire to have those meaningful, uh, strong relationships with my kids and to ensure that I do have a long, healthy life so I can spend it with them and do all the things with them, you know, not just be here for it, but I want to, you know, be in the action of it because I wasn't so fortunate to have that with my mom, as you mentioned. But, you know, I'm not always the shining star of eating right and exercising daily. So, you know, just like everyone, I need reminders and wake up calls. And But I do have the very real experiences that you know, when you don't take care of yourself, these kinds of things happen. And this is, you know, the result of that. So I absolutely think beautiful things can come out of tough experiences as long as you allow it to. So before we leave family directly, your dad remarried late in life and adopted a beautiful girl named Angel. What can you share about how a heart grows over time through a blended family? Because not, you know, for I think, well, I'll speak for myself. When I became a blended family at 50 something, there were a lot of challenges and a lot of people to absorb. And you're young and you were asked to absorb a new family as part of your family. So how does your heart grow from that experience? Yeah, it is, you know, tough and certainly was a little bit unexpected in the beginning. But I think when you love someone, you allow that work to happen within you. You know, my dad's a great example of how your heart can grow over time. His, you know, showing me firsthand his capacity for love and sacrifice and, and personal growth is inspiring. So yeah, it makes you want to kind of step up to the plate and do that work within yourself because it matters to him. So it's going to matter to me too. I think that's wonderful. And I think that a lot of people will face the challenge of adopting new people in their lives. And I think for people to expect bumps and expect feelings that they weren't expecting is probably the best foundation you can you can share, because if you can get to the other side of that, some very positive things can come out of it. 
So thank you for sharing that. Let's switch gears again and talk for a minute about money because we think money has a component in every conversation and a little thought experiment you can do for people listening is, and we talk about this all the time, so I'm repeating it here, but simply eavesdrop for a week and figure out, you know, how many people have a money component to the things that they're talking about. It's kind of surprising because as a society, we actually don't talk about it very much and we certainly don't teach it. But what do you know about money, earning, spending, saving that you want to make sure your own kids know, because now you know how important it is as they grow up? Sure. Yeah. Well, the biggest things I think Perhaps most simple, saving as much as they can, as early as they can start it, especially when expenses and responsibilities are low, the ability to keep expenses low for as long as you can, you know, if it makes sense, certainly will help, you know, and now is a good time for the real reality of why savings matters, you know, to ensure it's healthy enough to cover expenses for, gosh, half a year, you know, what I think a little bit more conservative always feels better for me on that side. But um, in general, to to learn as much as they can, of course, to find someone that they trust and to t- ask lots and lots of questions if it doesn't especially come naturally to you like it doesn't for me. And then I think big, big picture, something that I am currently working on and probably will continue to do so for some time is just to know their worth, to fight for it, to demand equality for it, learning how to negotiate. That was not something that I ever learned. So it's hard. It's and it's emotional. It feels personal, but to take that out of it, I think, is a good skill to have. So a couple of gems in there that I want to point to. One, I think you were saying that picking a, a partner is a financial decision. I heard that in part of what you said, and uh, and you picked a good one. And then also just knowing your worth, right? For women in particular, this is an ongoing issue, and we must change it. And the only way that it'll get changed is twofold, I think. Uh, One, we say it, and then we get our allies that are male to sponsor that same conversation because they typically hold the power and the money. So great gems there. Has the pandemic shifted any money or any other goals for you? I don't know, money-wise. I mean, it solidified the importance of things that we're already doing. Like I just mentioned, keeping savings healthy. I was furloughed for a small percentage of time, and so we were both a little anxious about know, prospect of job eliminations and all of that. So, but because we had our savings and I know we're both highly qualified employees, we weren't ever super stressed about that. It's always in your back of your mind, of course, but because we've been smart to this point, it helped. Mm -hmm. Other goals, you know, it's definitely reinforced again, the power of place. We're all in our homes much more. So as I think, you know, at, at the start of the pandemic, we very much talked casually for the last few years about vacation property or, you know, a beach house. But I think that this time has really reaffirmed that that's something that we want to make happen. I would like to say sooner rather than later for a number of reasons, but well, you know, and then there's, there's things like, you know, while I love our house and our neighborhood, I could totally get into like more land, homesteading a little bit, you know, becoming a little bit more self-sufficient. Those are kinds of things that have, have been awakened in me due to the pandemic for sure. 
Yeah, I think we're hearing that for a lot of people. The ground feels like it's truly shifting underneath them and they are shifting some of the ways they see the world and in particular living space. I've said for a long time, you know, they don't build houses to serve the way people actually live. And of course, it's never been more true than now. So I want to go back to your work because I think it's really important for especially other women listening, but anyone who has the interest that you do in interior design. Tell us a little bit about a day in the life of your work because I think people have preconceived ideas I know I did about interior design. What is it that you actually do in your position as lead designer? And what is an installation? Yes. So I have lots of different days. They come in big chunks of time. So I could go weeks or a couple months with the same kind of daily grind. And then it shifts to something completely different because it's all based off of project phases. So I'm a designer of our branded environments, which means uh, Herman Miller's showrooms, trade shows, exhibits, facilities, anything that has our logo on it that's supposed to be a brand expression I work on. These are also sales tools. So it's, it's a balance of, you know, how to make the brand come to life with the marketing and sales needs of that particular space or event. So I'm currently working on our project, our showroom, uh, new building in the West Loop of Chicago. So Right now, my days look like getting on my computer, modeling the space in 3D. I arrange the entire floor plate to a meaningful way, again, using all the research that we have, the knowledge and insights we have of space, how it affects people. I create and articulate the narrative and the customer path. So all of these spaces are customer-facing spaces that people tour and choose their office furnishings off of. So I select all the materials and finishes. Right now, I'm currently doing all of that design work in tandem with all the specifics of the product. So I'm responsible for picking every little detail out and making sure it gets ordered the correct way. So some days I have lots of meetings. I have, you know, I meet with lots of cross-functional teams. Some days it's really tedious work, like electrical plans for the contractor to literally take and put the power in the floor. Some days it's giving and creating presentations for leadership approval. So it's a whole mix of stuff. An installation is where our whole team goes to the space, you know, the building is complete, um, and that's where we put together the furniture. I attend to direct and approve all of the products, ensure everything looks like how I intended it to. Something always comes up that you have to kind of roll with on the fly and figure it out. IT comes in, installs all their equipment. We also style the space my team does. So that means, you know, accessories, lighting, rugs, pillow, art, graphics, signage, Um, all the little things. So it's from, you know, the very um, foundation underneath the floor and the walls all the way to the finishing touches. So it's actually, I know that the size of these projects can be quite large. So there are all those details to uh, tend to, and you're on a timeline. So I know that there's always some pressure with that, but you really, I just know from, from our interactions, how much you enjoy your work and Could you talk to why this could be a good career for anyone, but specifically why it might be a good career for women? Yeah, it's it's a really interesting provocation. And I've been reflecting a little bit on, you know, how the pandemic has shifted my, and even, you know, some of the civil rights stuff going on, how it shifted my outlook on the way I design spaces. And I think naturally women are more empathetic and cognizant of the human experience in general. We're very observant. Um, and I think now more than ever, with everything focused on equality for all, I think women specifically are more poised to ask those really hard questions and to break down those barriers and find the ways specifically in design how 
the physical space also contributes to the lack of equality for all people. It's an interesting exercise to go through and break down your day and understand how things have been designed. You know, there's the saying like, the world was designed for a right-handed person. It's the same in all of the other instances. So I think women can be finely attuned to those specific things that make people feel valued and safe and how that translates to space is is an interesting place that we're at in the world right now. I do too. And while I don't have a design gene, not even a cell in my body, <laughs> you got all of it. But, um, but I mean, it's just amazing how important space is to me personally. And our company has been remote for, for six years. And uh, we're doing this podcast from our office today at home. You're doing yours from your office at home today. But the thing about Herman Miller that I think is fascinating and, and the work that you do is there's a lot of science in the products that you design and work with. And that's clearly going to become so much more important to people like myself, a company owner who has worked for six years in, in my home office. And I enjoy Herman Miller products in my home office. And by the way, I'm just about due for a new chair that I sit in. I picked a pretty chair, not a pretty comfortable chair. <laughs> and I got my eye on the gaming chair for, for Herman Miller. But why does it even matter what chair we're sitting in? Yeah, so you're going to quiz me, huh? Yeah. <laughs> it matters deeply. And I bet all of us, you know, listening are finding that out. You've been sitting at your dining room table or on your sofa on your bed and or all of the above. So, yeah, the research, the science, it all goes back decades. And, you know, physical ergonomics, you know, is not just only about having the right chair, but making sure it's fitted correctly and you sit properly within it. You know, there's all lots, lots of research that you can find on our website about when your your spine and your sacrum and your pelvis, it's all in proper alignment. You're at the right height, proper seat depth, the ability to recline. Your physical body opens up, your chest opens up, you can breathe better, you have better circulation, your temperature is regulated. So all that equates to your cognitive function improves. If the chair allows you to have movement throughout the day, your physical body at the end of the day won't hurt as much. So that includes your table, your screen, your keyboard, all of the heights and distance, how everything relates to each other is what will equal the best fit without, you know, hopefully pain and strain at the end of the day. There's a few things that naturally people just do. Uh, the biggest common issues, we call it turtle head or perching. <laughs> if you st you're sticking your eight, 10 pound head out over your shoulders, I mean, think about what that does to your spine all day long your spine is there to help hold your head up. And when you stick it out, you know, or you, you sit on the edge of your chair versus within it, you know, you hunch over and it all just kind of builds on itself. And, and that's why you're in a lot of pain at the end of the day. You know, I was visiting a, a local business uh, recently and I noticed the poor gal behind the desk uh, taking care of customers had her elbows perched sort of, you know, oh. at her waistline and her hands leaning over the top of the table she was working at. And it just looked so extremely uncomfortable. So I think to me, because remember, all I think about is, is money and its connection to these. When you think about space, and you think about how you're going to earn money, those two things are connected. And if you're having people in that space, it matters if they're comfortable. But if you're working in that space, it matters if you're comfortable, because that means you're going to work longer or better in the time that you're spending there. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, not only will you not be prohibited by physical ailments, 
but you extrapolate that to health and wellness, healthcare costs. There are many people in the world who get doctor's notes written for ergonomic chairs because they have, you know, pre-existing conditions from this, that, or whatever. So, you know, mix that in with not sitting all day. You know, if you can have a height adjustable table, that's even better. Thankfully, companies are recognizing that they need to support employees at home. So we do have an entire work from home program now that employees are putting contracts together and giving employees a stipend because it absolutely uh, makes a huge difference. I love the stuff. And I think that that difference in feeling comfortable, like I say, I'm just about ready to boot the chair I'm sitting in because I am I am tired. I, I've spent more hours in this uh, six month period than I ever thought I would. And it's I can feel the difference. So I'll be in touch. <laughs> but the, <laughs> the philosophy behind design seems to be to reimagine things. And I think that's what's so fun about it. On your LinkedIn profile, you said this, I like to think about things in new ways creative yet purposeful with a team-based strategic lens. So what do you think needs to be, still needs to be reimagined in the world today? Oh my goodness, everything. <laughs> There's so much. <laughs> you know, I could yeah. rattle off a lot of the big, the big ticket things right now. Obviously, we were just talking about our traditional format of work, going to the physical workplace. Is that the best approach, you know, for our lives today? Um, how do we support working parents better? I think education needs a good look at food system, the way we approach community. Like those are the big, big things. But, you know, something that I'm working on in my own life um, personally is redesigning the belief that there's only one way to do life, only one way to succeed. I think we've all been taught by this broken system that we're all experiencing now that I just believe that if something doesn't align with your values and what makes you feel whole, then do it differently. Um, go out and find the way that works for you. You know, if the quote unquote American dream doesn't sit right with you, then find your own American dream. And, you know, I have this, one of my all time favorite quotes. It's by one of our designers, Aisha Bursell, and she says, design the life you love. That's how I try and approach our life, especially now more than ever, asking those questions and and redesigning things that aren't working, not serving you. I love that. That's a perfect place to end our conversation. Thank you, Heather, for your time, your insights, and your wisdom. I wish you great health, continued happiness, and much success. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I wish the same for you. Thank you. <laughs> this podcast and any related material is provided for general information and entertainment purposes only and do not constitute accounting, legal, tax, investment, or other professional advice. For professional advice in any realm, contact the appropriate professional. We assume no representation or warranty, express or implied, for accuracy or completeness of content. We assume no responsibility for information contained in the podcast and disclaim all liability in respect of such information, but not limited to any liability for errors, inaccuracies, omissions, or misleading or defamatory statements. Links to external websites are provided solely for your convenience. We accept no responsibility for any linked sites or their contents. Use of this podcast and its content constitutes an explicit understanding and acceptance of the terms of this disclaimer.